Okay. I want to have this as my last sex episode. Before I do that, I'm gonna make my last statements about religion today. I'll start doing um, religion and sex episodes back up again starting on uh, April the 7th. Okay, April 7th is the day. It's 2022. Year. I want to say with the religion episode, it was very intense for me also because I had to leave the lights camera action world that is a part of religion um as I learned about wealthy pastors and poor congregations and 65 million dollar jet that I saw from Creflo Dollar and then I saw people trying to get honorariums that they wanted more money. For example, to raise the offering multiple times during the service was something I learned that does happen in the Christian world. So the more they, as one of my big sisters would say, preach you happy, uh, the more finances they extract from your pocketbook, your bank account, and your wallet. And that was another thing that really devastated me to know that you got pimp you got pimps in the pulpit in the congregation and church leadership. And when I say pimp and not disparaging suffering, I'm talking metaphorically something that should have nothing to do with church. Sex work is one thing where it consents to adults. I get that. That's fine. But in the world, in a Christian church, that that structure that sex work has should not be happening in church. They should be completely separate. They both have uh, different curriculums, if you will. And so when I think about what happened and uh, church, I saw a lot of selling their souls to the devil. Um, also in this way, they're better at talking about people than talking with people. And they're better at talking about people than talking to people. I did see in the church world how they're better at fighting each other than fighting systemic societal injustices. They're better at asking about people than building relationships with the people that if they would talk to them directly instead of going through so-and-so to to learn more about what so-and-so day and life is like, that's troubling. What I saw was irrelevancy in the sense where 
you would see liquor stores, Chinese carryouts, and cash check places. You would see dilapidated housing. You would see um, slums. You would see public housing projects. And you would see the effects of alcoholism on on the streets and street corners. But you had churches on almost every block and the neighborhood is still in shambles. It's in ruination. That's a sad display of Christianity. Um, One more thing about the church world, then I get get to the sex episode. I just had to get this out. Also, what I saw in that world was putting La La Land above the healing of wounded people. What does that mean? They have this approach to God that's about having God do their bidding instead of abiding by God. They try to make themselves God. They are their own idolatry. They won't let God be God. They try to be God over God. And what I see in church is a lack of courage is highly prized. The absence of bravery is highly valued. Because to be a Christian, it means that instead of you trying to be like the rest of the world, the way that you behave makes the rest of the world consider trying to be more and more like the God that is inside of you. The only way for the world to be more and more like God is for them to duplicate the healthy behaviors that you show to them. But instead, I see self-professed Christians uh, duplicating the rest of the world and their behavior and they wonder why they're struggling to even evangelize. You can't evangelize and copycat things and people and situations that you have no business copycatting. And then it dawned on me that the church has failed the people. The church has failed me. And then I took it a step further. When you have people who want to stay milk Christians for a very long time. It could be years. That person is not a Christian at all. To really be a Christian, it means that, okay, you start off milk, but after a while, you must become meat. 
because those who truly strive to be meat Christians are the only Christians that exist. Anybody that says they're Christian, but they are milk and they've been milk for a mighty long time, they're not Christian at all. So the ones who say they're Christian, but they're milk, the ones that failed me are not Christian at all because they failed me unnecessarily. It's one thing to be an imperfect human being and you may fail people from time to time, but you don't do it intentionally. You don't just do it because you refuse to um, rise in spiritual heights. If anything, a mature Christian will, will make amends. Will show remorse, will show regret, and try to make it right, more importantly, keep it right. While a middle Christian, they hurt people and they go on with their lives without ever healing what they need to heal, to help heal, they need to help heal, right? But here's the thing. Nothing about being Christian is there's so many of them that are trying their best to get God to do everything for them, to have God as their beck and call, to have God do their bidding, uh, to have God... Um, I have to take a pause because it really hurts. Uh, to have God be their slave, for example, they want God to do all the repenting for them, even though it's their job to repent. They want God to do all the redeeming for them, even though it's their job to live a life of redemption. They want God to do all the forgiving for them, even though it's their job to be forgiving people. Um, they want God to show all the compassion for them, you know, it's their job to be compassionate. They want God to be, to, to show all the mercy for them instead of them doing their job by being merciful people. They want God to show all the grace for them, you know, it's their job to be graceful people. They'll keep devils around because they excuse it by using the concept of original sin, we're all born shaped iniquity as a way to say, hey, we're, we're just bad, we're pure evil, and this is what we do, and we can't really repent from it because it's how we're born. Subconsciously, that's what they do. They, will, they, they think that cheap grace, cheap mercy, cheap compassion, cheap forgiveness, cheap redemption, and cheap repentance are their jobs in the will of God, even though God makes it clear, none of those things are your jobs and none of those things are my will. The devil is more appealing to them than God because the devil lets them do whatever recklessness they want to do while God says, I'm a God of boundaries, so no, you, can, you can't do that, but yes, you can do this other thing. So that's what I've had to 
learn about church. And with that being said, uh, let me go to before I before I move forward. Let me say this one last thing. It just popped in my head. I've been wanting to say it. I just remember is that you have people who robbed themselves of social justice by not doing social justice by people like me. So all the opportunities they have to have better relationships, better people around them. When you link up with a person like myself, you have those things because I have excellent resources. But when you choose not to uh, unite with me, you're robbing yourself of all that the good that you're supposed to have. This is not arrogance, this is humility because I had to learn that you can't get social justice from hypocrites because hypocrites are living, breathing social justice to themselves and others. So you can't get truth from a liar um, you can't get square dealing from a hypocrite you can't get social justice from social injustice so it's like a lot of people fail to make it their business to know me the bare minimum was often the way that people live their lives for example they thought the bare minimum was God's will even though God says go above and beyond. We'll put you in the choir. We'll have a couple of family members preach. And you do ministerial stuff around the church. But we're not gonna know the career employment housing advocacy struggles that you Antonio which are on the autism spectrum have a lot of times social justice is often denied to me and a big reason as Christians refuse to get involved in my life as Christians refuse to make my interests uh, relevant and personal to them okay I got that expressed about religion last time I mentioned religion for until April 7th let's talk about sex but I want to talk about it from a sensitive standpoint so please uh, bear with me I'll just talk until I'm led to stop that's what I started I'm going to start doing right now I'm going to talk until, until I'm going to stop talking and read until I'm going to stop reading so here we go let's start with this is a big one okay July 3rd 2014 Julianne Ross seven this is everydayfeminism.com 17 lies we need to stop teaching boys about sex Editor's note, this article was written to address the messages that cisgender, mostly heterosexual men receive about sexuality. However, many of these can apply to men overall. Originally published on Mike and Cross Post to hear with their permission, 
Policy Mike recently debunked 17 persistent lies society teaches girls about sex, which I'll read the next article. Though targeted towards women, this list was meant to be helpful for educating all genders about sexuality in a healthy way. Of course, just like girls, boys are fed some very problematic lies of their own. While our culture promotes a male-centered, that is penis-centered view of sex, men do not necessarily have it easy. Boys are taught that, quote-unquote, real men are sexual aggressors and the tenets of toxic masculinity promote stoicism and ignorance. To admit fear, discomfort, or confusion about sex implies a certain vulnerability at odds with culturally acceptable machismo. This stigma surrounding male sexuality has been linked to increased risk-taking behavior, violence, and the spread of sexually transmitted infections and sexually transmitted diseases. Boys are half of the equation discussions about sex positivity. We need to teach everyone proper lessons about anatomy, communication, and consent. Let's start by debunking these 17 myths about boys and sex. Number one, size is everything. There's one thing society has consistently equated with manliness, it's penis size. So it's not surprising that so many guys worry about measuring up. Here's the truth, size matters to some people sometimes, but it's not everything. For one thing, guys often hold themselves to an unrealistic standard. Many don't see a lot of erect members outside of porn, which offers a skewed perspective. Porn also has the added benefits of flattering, lighting, angles, and makeup, making it a far from accurate tool for comparison. Average erect size is really about five to six inches in length and four to five inches in girth, depending on the source. Much of a person's preference is likely due to social conditioning more so than physical pleasure. People come in different shapes and sizes or works for some parents, won't for others. Besides, vagina isn't just some hole, H-O-L-E, you toss stuff into. It's only three to four inches long on average. It expands during sex, lets something through. Other openings don't stretch much at all. Lastly, sexual chemistry trumps size any day. T-R-U-M-P-S. As the Kinsey Institute's Dr. Debbie Herbenick says, research consistently finds that sexual satisfaction is more influenced by psychological connection, intimacy, and relationship satisfaction, not just the size or shape of a person's genitals. Two, sex is all about penetration. The common concept of virginity as penis and vagina penetration is too narrow to be meaningful and ignores things like oral and anal sex, experiences with LGBTQI plus couples, and personal conceptions of intimacy. Beyond virginity, there's so much more to sex, love, and relationships than fitting a specific peg in one specific hole. Three, all men have penises. Many items here focus on the anatomy of those assigned male at birth to create a space for topics boys don't always get a chance to properly discuss. We can emphasize that gender identity is different from biological sex. Manhood is not defined by what's between your legs. Four, boys are always DTF. You know what that means? down to fuck. Society has spent so much time focusing on men's libido that even the occasional lack of desire can feel emasculating. But sometimes men like women just aren't ready to go. Things like diet, sleep, stress, and confidence can all affect the mood. Studies show about whether men or women want sex more are seemingly endless and contradictory. But we should keep things in perspective. As IO9 points out, greater sex drive does not translate to greater capacity for sex or greater enjoyment of sex. And it also does not translate to greater capacity for manhood or greater enjoyment of manhood either. It doesn't. Most importantly, broad trends don't reflect every 
personal preference. Some men like monogamous relationships, some want casual sex, and some don't want sex at all. It's time we stop thinking about desire, lack thereof, and gender terms. Five, boys can't be raped. Rape is a hugely underreported crime regardless of gender. In a recent National Crime Victimization Survey, NCFS, found that there are likely far more male victims than previously thought. In surveying 40,000 households, the NCBS discovered that 80 discovered that 38% of incidents of rape and sexual violence were committed against men. Well above previous stats, placing the number of male victims as 5 to 14%. Regardless of statistics, denying the reality of male rape is incredibly hurtful to its victims. So why do people still believe that men can't be raped? This misconception stems in large part from aforementioned thinking that men always want sex, an idea that can cause a great deal of pain and confusion for victims. As Reigns, Jennifer Marshall, Posse Mike, Male victims often feel as though there must be something not right with them that they did not want or enjoy the attack. The presence of an erection does not indicate consent, either. Unwanted arousal can happen, too, with all types of genitals during sexual assault. Six, boys don't need HPV vaccine. Though the human papillomavirus HPV is typically associated with women, men can also be carried to pass the virus to female partners. As such, the Centers for Disease Control CDC recommends the Gardasil vaccine for all genders from ages 9 to 26. The vaccine prevents four different types of HPV, two of which cause genital warts and two of which cause cervical cancer. Yes, it is safe. While we're on the subject, men can also get UTIs and yeast infections. They may not get them as often as women do, but that doesn't make them any more enjoyable when they strike. Seven, porn is a great way to learn about sex. Regardless of your feelings about porn's ethical implications, there have been many tristeses written landing on both sides of the debate. People are going to keep watching it. Thus, it's important to remember that porn sex is not real sex, as any other cinematic endeavor. It involves actors, directors, editors, and a whole lot of exaggeration. Case in point, despite porn's ubiquitous display of frantic thrusting, the majority of women do not come from penetration alone. Other ways real sex is different from porn include the fact that men don't produce gallons of semen, all genitals don't look the same, and human beings have hair. Because porn is a performance, not an instruction manual, watching a lot of it probably won't make someone a better lover. Talking with a partner about what makes them happy, on the other hand, might do the trick. Eight, sex is over when a man finishes this. Sex isn't some teleological exercise and orgasm is everything for men or for women or for the non-binary. Discomfort from quote-unquote blue balls will not kill you, and the journey is often more important than the destination anyways. Nine, sex should last for hours. The marathon population sessions shown in porn and romantic comments for that matter are unrealistic and would probably be very painful in real life. Men like women and non-binary persons can get sore after the act. In reality, sex, not including foreplay, lasts only about as long as your average Marvin Gaye song, three to seven minutes. Of course, this is not representative of all sexual patterns for all people, and sex can certainly last longer than that. This might seem short, but sex expert and author Ian Corner puts in perspective, cis men, cisgender men, are wired to ejaculate quickly, and stress situations make them ejaculate even more quickly. It's been important to the human race. If guys took an hour to ejaculate, we'd be a much smaller planet. 10. 
Bisexual men are causally homosexuals. And what is surely an unsurprising announcement to bi men everywhere? Science has discovered that male bisexuality does in fact exist. And no, it is not just a layover on the way to gay town. Nevertheless, bisexual men still tend to face stigma questions over the legitimacy of their sexuality. Bisexual men deal with this as well, although women are often viewed as having a more fluid and fetishized sexuality in the first place. Of course, as the Telegraph's Patrick Mikhailinen points out, whether that's innate or a function of living society where Katy Perry's worship is singing a song called I Kissed the Girl and Madonna snogs Britney Spears on stage remains to be seen. Boys shouldn't be made to feel shameful about same-sex attraction, certainly not fair, to suggest the line between gay and straight is somehow starker for men than it's for women. 11. Straight men don't do that stuff. Exploring their backside is taboo for many straight guys because they worry about seeming gay. This is silly for many reasons, the most obvious of which is that there's nothing wrong with being gay. Additionally, not all gay men engage in anal sex. Whatever your sexuality, the prostate doesn't discriminate. This walnut-sized gland, also known as the male G-spot, can be found between the penis and bladder. And many men, gay and straight and, un- and non-binary and however they define themselves, they have the right, report that its stimulation leads to more intense orgasms. 12. Oral and anal sex are safe than vaginal sex. While oral and anal sex may not result in pregnancy, oral sex is generally considered the least likely of the bunch to spread HIV. You can still give and receive plenty of STIs from your act. Different options mean different risks, not necessarily fewer. The safest thing is to be sure you and your partner get tested regularly. Rectal STI testing included, if that's on the table, and of course, use condoms. 13. A boner, a boner always means a guy wants sex and vice versa. Guys with penises can become hard at random times for random reasons, especially throughout puberty. Spontaneous erections might be embarrassing, but they're normal. Sometimes have nothing to do with how aroused someone is. The most common example is nocturnal penile tumescence, also known as morning wood, which happens after the brain enters REM sleep and isn't tied to the sexiness of your dreams. On the flip side, not getting hard doesn't necessarily mean a man isn't into getting down. Alcohol and pot, marijuana, if you will, can temper, can temper things, for example. Erectile dysfunction is also very common, affecting 15 to 30 million men in the U.S. Moral of the story, desire is more complicated than the physical evidence lets on. 14. Boys in relationships are whipped. In contemporary slang, the term whip is almost always used to refer to a man being controlled by his girlfriend. It's inherently sexist. If you have any doubt, check out its urban dictionary synonyms as it implies that the default state of affairs is for men to keep women in their place. But caring about someone, committing to that person, considering their wishes before doing something is really just what it means to be in a relationship. Respect yourself and respect your partner regardless of what anyone else says. 15. If she doesn't say no, that means yes. There's so much shame and stigma surrounding sexuality that talking about consent might feel awkward, especially when you're young. We need to get over this because those are the most important conversations we can have. From the White House's recent task force to curb sexual violence on college campuses to student protests across the country, it's clear that sexual assault remains an enormous problem for young men and women. And the non-binary, or ignorance is no excuse. We need to teach both boys and girls and non-binary to be clear in their intentions and always to respect one another's bodily autonomy. This starts by emphasizing the following, no matter your gender, no means no. The absence of a clear yes also means no. 
Alcohol and clothing choices do not equal consent, and no one is ever obligated to have sex with anyone else ever. Incidentally, the friend zone does not exist, and catcalling women is not a compliment. 16. Women and their genitals are complicated and terrifying. Contrary to popular belief, the female orgasm is not similar to the mythical unicorn of sex. Can it be difficult for many women to finish? Absolutely. To tell it, constantly telling guys and girls in the non-binary that getting a woman off is some Herculean task is just setting them up for anxiety and failure. Rather than simply providing the most basic clinical explanations of how babies are made, sex ed would do well to, to more comprehensively demystified body parts for people of all genders. And because everyone is a bit different down there, we should teach everyone to comfortably communicate with their partners about what they like and don't like. It's a skill that will serve them well throughout the rest of their lives, both in and out of the bedroom. 17. Boys are not allowed to wait. Because men are stereotyped as constantly having sex on their minds, men expect everyone around them to be doing it. Culture norms to take that all boys should be eager to lose it to the first willing person who comes along, but that's not true. Just like many women enjoy casual sex, many men don't. Some men prefer to wait, and some do not experience sexual attraction at all. Planned Parenthood reports that as many as one in four men are not sexually active by age 19. Boys may also exaggerate the experience level or number of partners. In one survey of 1,200 boys and young men aged 15 to 22, 30% lied about how far they had gone, and 70% said they felt overly pressured by society to have sex. Not having sex doesn't make someone less of a man because who you are is not contingent on who you're sleeping with. It's really no one else's business. Some dudes lie about sex. Some dudes lie about sex partners. They'll say they slept with somebody, but they did not in order to fit in in a bad way. So far, I feel at rest, so I'm going to keep speaking. Um, this is Jillian Ross again, September 16, 2014. 17 lives need to stop teaching girls about sex. Originally published on Mike and Cross posted here with their permission. While there's the constant fretting over Miley Cyrus' influence on school girls with a growing and troubling tradition of purity balls, it's clear that society has a fascination with young women's sexuality, especially when it comes to controlling it. What are we actually teaching today's girls about sex? Fueled by outdated ideas, ideals of gender roles, and the sense that female sexuality is somehow shameful, there seem to be certain pernicious myths about girls and sex that just won't die. That sex education in America has gapping holes in its curriculum hasn't helped much either. In a recent Center for Disease Control CDC report, just six out of 10 girls said that their schools and sex ed program included information on how to say no to sex. This lack of personal agency was reflected in a forthcoming study by sociologist Heather Havlicka at, Havlicka at Market University as well, which found that many young girls think of sex simply as something that is done to them. Knowledge is power. We can promote a healthy relationship with sex by encouraging a more open dialogue, teaching girls to feel comfortable with their sexuality, and most importantly, emphasizing that their bodies are theirs and theirs alone. But first, we, we, we're going to need to stop perpetuating the following 17 myths about female sexuality. One, virginity exists. Teresa Schechter's 2013 documentary, How to Lose Your Virginity, asks a simple, asks, F-A-C-S, 
a seemingly simple question. What is a virgin? The answer is actually pretty complicated. The common idea of virginity is focused on the heteronormative male-centered definition of intercourse, that is, penis and vagina penetration. But this definition ignores LGBT plus couples, oral and anal sex instances where it didn't go all the way in, rape and emotional intimacy. The cultural obsession with virginity is more about keeping girls secure than anything else, because the term begins to crumble upon close inspection and doesn't have to carry such weight. There's no clear universal concept of virginity, and people should be able to define meaningful markers of intimacy for themselves. Two, hymens are a sign of virginity. Given that the entire notion of virginity is dubious at best, it's not all that surprising that there's actually no medical way to tell if someone is a virgin or not, that this includes a broken hymen. Hymens usually become worn down throughout adolescence, can be torn by everything from jumping on a trampoline to horseback, to horseback riding to simply playing sports. Some women aren't born with one at all. Despite the fact that more than half of women don't bleed the first time they have, they have penetrated sex, blood on the sheets has remained a signifier of losing one's virginity throughout history. The persistence of this myth surrounding a basically irrelevant anatomical feature has even spawned a market for artificial hymens and reconstructive surgery to quote-unquote restore virginity. More disturbingly, girls around the world are often subject to degrading and basic virginity tests to ensure their purity. Three, all women are born with vaginas. Some items on this list focus on the anatomy of those assigned female at birth in an effort to illuminate, to illuminate issues that many girls don't get to talk about enough, but the purpose is never to be exclusionary. Gender identity is different from biological sex and trans women are women, period. Four, the first time is going to hurt a lot. Much of the pain young women are taught to expect during their first sexual experience actually comes from increased muscle tension due to nervousness. Blood usually comes from vaginal tissue tearing due to lack of lubrication and ahem, inexperienced lovemaking, <clears throat> not the hymen breaking. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy, really. Maybe if we stop telling girls to be terrified of excruciating pain of their first time, things would be a little more comfortable for everyone. Five, if someone buys you something, you owe them sex. It doesn't matter if it's a drink or a diamond necklace, you never owe someone sex ever. Six, too much sex will stretch you out. Nothing like the old hot down dog a highway analogy to scare young women away from safe, consensual promiscuity. The truth is women differ in size just like men do. The vagina is like a rubber band and unless you're regularly getting down with a fire hose, you should be fine. H-O-S-E. Similarly, having a baby will not quote unquote ruin your vagina. Many women report feeling different down there after childbirth. The post baby healing process depends on a variety of factors like age, the size of the baby, and commitment to kegels. But we should really be teaching girls to accept the differences as normal and natural not as newfound flaws. Seven, women don't think about sex very much. Many sexologists have arrived at the same conclusion. Women want sex just as much as men. This isn't some new trend either. Science is just learning to ask, ask the right question about female desire, ASK. So why does this myth of the undersex female persist? It certainly doesn't help that women often are taught that thinking about sex is boyish or juvenile. Entertainment media also frequently likes to portray women as the more responsible party in relationship. Think nagging wife, childish husband. The flip side of this thing is that is the idea that quote unquote real men should always have a voracious sexual appetite. But the saying men think about sex every seven seconds is just not true. 
Society's focus on young men's libido has created a sort of caricature of male sexuality, one that treats an occasional lack of desire for displays of emotion as not being masculine enough, and that's not fair to them either. Eight, women don't like casual sex. Not only do women want sex, but as journalist Daniel Bergner points out in What Do Women Want? Adventures in the Science of Female Desire, their desire is, quote-unquote, not for the most part sparked or sustained by emotional intimacy and safety. This means that contrary to popular belief, women can most definitely have sex without getting emotionally attached. Studies of sexual desire have actually shown that plenty of ladies want casual sex more than the average guy, and many guys want it less than the average lady. Much of this desire appears to be socially conditioned anyway. Gender differences in desire have been shown to diminish over time with more progressive generations. In countries with more equitable dis distributions of power, and when the perceived stigma of being slut shame is controlled for in female slut in female subjects. Moral of the story is a personal preference and blanket generalizations aren't helping anyone. Nine, boys buy the condoms. You don't need to depend on anyone else for your protection. Girls can be prepared too. 10, frigid wives make cheating husbands. The myth of the frigid wife plays off outdated notions of women who are too uninterested in sex to keep their men satisfied. But instead of lazily blaming infidelity on gender stereotypes, let's encourage a sense of personal responsibility. Besides, men deserve more than to be treated like animals who can't control themselves. 11. You have to wax. Despite ads, ABS, that try to convince women that life can only be fully enjoyed stubble-free, you do not have an obligation to do anything to your body that you don't want to. After all, hair removal is still an industry designed like every other to exploit people's insecurities to make the most money possible. It's working too. Hair removal is a $2.1 billion industry in the U.S. over the course of a lifetime. The average woman will spend an estimated $10,000 on shaving products. You should do what works for you, whether or not that means buying in. 12. You can't have sex or your period. If it grosses you out, no pressure. Seriously though, is period blood really that much grosser than regular sexy time fluids? But such an act is both physically possible and safe. In fact, sex during a period can improve menstrual cramps, and some women even report having a shorter period overall when they get busy during that time of the month. Be warned, however, it is still possible to get pregnant or spread an STI while having sex in your period, so don't forgo the condom. 13. Sex is supposed to hurt sometimes. Sex is not supposed to hurt, but for many women, it does. If your muscles aren't ready, things can get painful. It could take 20 minutes of foreplay for a woman's vaginal muscles to relax enough to be truly ready. For penetrative sex. For some women, however, foreplay is an issue at all. Conditions like vaginismus and vulvodynia are very real, albeit unfortunately not very well known. The result is that many women suffering from these conditions don't realize that there is help available. If sex hurts, it's worth finding a specialist who can talk you through your options. 14. Once you start having sex, you're not allowed to say stop. You can change your mind at any time during sex, and your partner must respect that. It doesn't matter if blue balls are real or not, know that your voice must be heard. 15. Sorry about that. Uh, pop up on the internet. You know, try to, so I had to close that out. Okay, let me get back. 15. Women don't watch women don't watch porn. The hatred many women feel towards porn is understandable given that so much of it promotes unrealistic or downright unhealthy attitudes about female sexuality. The problem is as the Kinsey Institute's Debbie Habitat points out most mainstream porn is made by men with other men in mind. This doesn't mean that many women don't enjoy porn, 
Now that there's not a market for more female-friendly fare, researchers have shown that many women respond comparably to sexually explicit material that the increase in women's brainwave activity and looking at erotic images is just as strong as the increases in men's. 16. Sexual harassment is normal. A disturbing new study clued that many young women consider sexual harassment and violence to be a part of everyday life. Girls shouldn't have to think of this treatment as expected. Sexual violations of any kind are unacceptable in a dismissive, boys being boys defense is both ridiculous and damaging to all genders. Sorry, but personal bodily autonomy is not up for debate. 17, everybody's doing it. The average American experiences their first time at age 17. Plenty of people don't start having sex till later or earlier in life, and that's okay too. Some people don't have much of an interest in sex at all. Being sex positive, this is about encouraging everyone to have tons of sex all the time. It's about understanding that sex should be safe, shame-free, and above all, based on informed personal choices. I still feel the energy. That means I'm going to keep going. When I start to feel exhausted, I stop. There's nothing I can teach myself in a podcast. September 23rd, 2014, Jamie Utt. Five lies that distort male sexuality and hurt men. Content warning, sexual violence and abuse. Some of the most important lessons I've learned in life came through sports. They taught me hard work, commitment, and teamwork. They also taught me some of my most foundational lessons about masculinity and sex. Not all these messages were problematic and harmful. I often had coaches talk to me in positive, though sometimes paternalistic ways about respecting women. But looking back, most of the messages I received about sex and masculinity's role in sex were quite horrifying. Perhaps one of the most terrifying messages that I received came from an older soccer player named Dave when I was in 10th grade. One day he was bragging to me about his sexual relationship with his girlfriend, a girl widely recognized as quote-unquote hot and quote-unquote popular. In the midst of his braggadocio, he mentioned wanting to perform an incredibly violent sexual act that would violate her consent and would likely lead to serious injury. He said he was only joking and laughing along, but it didn't sit right with me. No matter how uncomfortable it made me, though, I didn't dare challenge, quote-unquote, the joke. After all, to do so would not only have challenged a man I was supposed to look up to, but it might have led to me being further ostracized for being, quote-unquote, gay. Because apparently men are gay if they stand up to violence against women, and being gay was the worst possible thing I could have been in high school. To this day, I'm ashamed that I've never said anything, but I simply didn't know how. I was a young man, black, in confidence, and I felt like it was quote-unquote normal that we were talking about women in this way. Though some might write the story off as adolescent immaturity, this story speaks to a wider problem of patriarchal masculinity and how we as men are taught to understand sex and sexuality. Feminism versus patriarchy. For generations now, feminism in its many iterations have done an amazing job of pointing out the terrible impacts of patriarchal masculinity. And increasingly, feminists have have focused on how patriarchy hurts people of all genders. With the rise of the internet as a dominant force in so many people's lives, though the resistance to feminism has only grown louder and stronger. The power of the internet for organizing men's rights activists, pickup artists, and other anti-feminist groups have meant a surge in numbers of those who see feminism as quote-unquote anti-male or who despise the ways that feminism subverts patriarchal masculinity. And ironically, these groups prey on men who feel hurt, who feel insecure, who feel entitled to sex, but who struggle socially and can't find fulfilling relationships. MRAs and PUAs tell insecure men that the problem is feminism, not patriarchy, and in doing so, feel a particularly violent online and offline misogyny. 
Yet the hurt and frustration these men face when it comes to sexuality is almost always directly tied to the ways in which patriarchal masculinity distorts male sexuality, which is a battle that, femi that feminism fights. In her book, The Will to Change Men, Masculinity, and Love, Bell Hooks describes patriarchy as the single most life-threatening social disease assaulting the male body and spirit in our nation. If we are ever going to engage men more fully in dismantling patriarchy and misogyny, we need more men to understand how the messages we receive about sex hurt more than women. These messages hurt us in myriad ways too. Thus, though, I could like I could likely unpack this about every message about sex that we receive. I want to analyze five of the most prominent messages men are taught about our sexuality. One, sow your wild oats. This one is also known as view sex the conquest and have sex with as many partners as you possibly can. Somewhere in our early 20s, my friend reached out to his dad for some advice about women in relationships. His dad told him that his 20s were not the time to be tied down in quotations and that he should sow his wild oats. Considering that my friend was seeking advice about whether to invest more seriously in a relationship with a woman, the message was clear. From a very early age, we as men get the message from media and from other men that our role in sex is conqueror. I saw it in the way that Dave bragged about his sexual conquest with his quote-unquote hot and quote-unquote popular girlfriend, and we got the message in the talk with my buddy's dad. By feeling pressure to live up to the Sawyer Wild Oats' message, we end up feeling partners as disposable. This obviously hurts our partners, but it also ensures that we never form loving slash for accountable bonds of attachment unless we forsake this messaging. After all, whether we're talking about a one-night stand or long-term relationship, connection and thus good sex have relationships are driven by investment, love, and care. This is not to say that all sex needs to happen in the context of love, like romantic love. It can happen in compassionate love, even in casual relationships. Hmm. But we need to invest in connection rather than disconnection to ensure both our partners and we are fulfilled. Two, always be in control. I'm not sure where exactly it came from, but somewhere along the way, I received the message that I always need to be in control sexually. Sure, it could be quote unquote hot for a woman because I never received any message about what sex with anyone but a woman could or should be to take control from time to time. Uh, but that message was exception to the rule. And I don't think I'm alone. There's a reason that in dominant masculine cultures are seen as widely subversive for a man to be a bottom or submissive in sex with other men or in BDSM. And there's a reason that these men are referred to as quote unquote the bitch. But realize but, re, but releasing control allows us to build accountable and trusting partnerships as trust cannot live in a relationship characterized by control over another person. Plus, relationships where one person is always in control sexually are not only boring, but they can stifle our full sexual expression. Relinquishing control allows us to experience things that might bring tremendous fulfillment and pleasure that we otherwise would not have considered. Three, value hotness and traditional measures of physical attractiveness above everything. Now, I was watching a video that the UCSB shooter made just before going on his violent rampage. I noticed a particularly disturbing trend. Much of his ramblings about women rejecting and focused on women he deemed quote-unquote hot and non-deserving men having sexual access to these women. And it got me thinking about the ways that I've been taught to value particular types of beauty in my relationships with women. Considering my earliest sexual experiences were with mainstream pornography, my understanding of sex and sexuality was cemented with a pretty strict construction of beauty. Outside of that, nearly every message I've received from other men and from the media point to one thing, unless a woman is quote-unquote hot, she's not worth my time. 
And to this day, this conditioning impacts me both consciously and subconsciously in ways that I have to check and reflect upon. I find myself engaging more intently in a conversation with a woman who is stereotypically quote-unquote attractive, and I find myself remembering the names of women I find attractive far more easily than those I do not. The bizarre part of these sentences is that they don't necessarily have anything to do with sex. I am half in a committed and fulfilling relationship where I'm not looking for sexual partners, yet I still find myself valuing women I find most attractive more than those I don't. How does this impact my relationship with the women in my life? What relationships, sexual and romantic or otherwise, are we closing off because of how we've been taught to value physical beauty above all else? The point is that when we value women as sexual objects, we not only hurt women, but we hurt ourselves in the ways we lose out on friendships, romantic partnerships, fantastic sexual connections, or any other relationships with people who exist outside of a tiny standard of beauty. When we decolonize our understanding of beauty from patriarchal norms, we open ourselves to a myriad of beautiful human connections with people of all genders. For if she doesn't stop you, you're good to go. I had a lot of awkward sex talks with my dad. I guess he wanted to make sure I got the message about condoms and pregnancy and STIs. Aside from any mention of non-heterosexual sex, looking back on these talks, notice one glaringly ab absent topic, consent. None of these awkward talks during long car trips was consent even mentioned, let alone explored and discussed with nuance and complexity. This absence reinforced another aspect of sexuality that is quote-unquote normal within patriarchal masculinity. Consent means go until they say stop. Nowhere was that actually explicitly said, yet every model in the media where much of my understanding of how sexuality would look demonstrated anything different. And so long as our model for consent relies on the negative, on a part expressing discontent to keep us from moving forward, we ensure today. First, we ensure that we run tremendous risk of hurting our partners by violating their boundaries of consent. And if our partners have received similar messaging, they run the same risk of hurting us and violating our boundaries. Second, we ensure that overt communication during sex is the exception rather than the rule, and this message means that we don't have the best sex we could possibly have. A simple rule for good sex is that the more clearly everyone communicates, the better the sex will be. Five, this all can, can, culminates in one thing, male entitlement to sex. All, this messaging, all of this messaging together serves to teach men that we're entitled to sex to other people's bodies, and this entitlement hurts everyone. There's only one outcome for this entitlement, violence, of course. Hashtag not all men end up overtly expressing this learned entitlement through violence, but we all get the same messaging. There are countless ways for us to act on our sexual entitlement by hurting others. So how does this entitlement show up in the form of violence? The most extreme form of this violence shows up when men murder out of this entitlement as we saw the sensualized way with the isolated killings and as we see every single day when at least three men kill their intimate partners. This violence appears in the form of relationship violence, most recently the public eye because of Ray Rice's violence against Janae Palmer with at least 2 million men per year beating their intimate partners. This violence shows up in sexual violence where, though it is hard to truly study perpetrators of sexual uh, violence, the vast majority of perpetrators of sexual violence are men, yes, really MRAs. This violence shows up in street harassment where the vast majority of street harassment is committed by men. Sadly, I could go on and on with this list, but the common denominator is entitlement that is intimately woven to patriarchal masculinity so what do so what do we do 
Knowing that patriarchal masculinity distorts male sexuality in ways that hurts people of all genders, we have to find ways to interrupt the cycles of male socialization as we know them. We need learn from men like those that are called to men who are willing to raise boys simply offering a more inclusive and non-violent masculinity. We have to have the courage to teach our boys that what it means to be a man is to be gentle, to be loving, to be proud, and to see the full humanity in all people. We have to take a page from the book of the Representation Project while pushing back against the ways our genders are constructed and portrayed in the media. We have to push for public policy to hold everyone, particularly men, accountable, healthy, nonviolent relationships. And we as men need to do more to call in other men to consider a new masculinity. When we hear our friends spot some MRA bullshit, we need to call them out and call them in. When we hear men talk in objectifying ways about other people's bodies, we need to call them out and call them in. We need to build relations with other men that are built upon non-violence, love, accountability, and transformative rather than patriarchal masculinity, because if we don't, we all suffer. I still so far. I'm going to do two more articles and then I'm going to speak from my heart. Then I will be fulfilled. Uh, four things we need to stop teaching boys to avoid nurturing their sexual entitlement. May 2015, Aaron Tatum. As feminists, we understand the patriarchal influences many aspects of our lives, particularly how we perceive ourselves in terms of gender and sexuality. And we're generally pretty aware of how our sex saturated culture, especially media, revolves almost entirely around catering to the male gaze, GAC. But if we really want to work toward ending this, then we need to have ammo to show folks how exact society teaches and encourages sexual entitlement to women and men. This article should be a great start because from pornography to comedy, men learn that one thing will always be theirs for the taking, women. The lesson that they're taught is that if you want her bad enough, just get out there and take her. The only thing that could possibly send you away is your own insecurities, which you allegedly shouldn't even have to man, because you're a perfect catch by virtue of existing. And this mindset produces dysfunctional, often frustrating relationships between men and women as soon as sex and romance come into play. Since women are supposed to fulfill male fantasy, it could be disconcerting to men to discover that men that women are not begging to jump into bed with them. In fact, she might consistently repeatedly rebuff his effort to seduce her, which directly contradicts the assumption that women are eager objects for male consumption. Such rejection makes him very angry because she owes it to him to sleep with him. But where did he get that notion in the first place? So many men act entitled to sex, but that attitude does disappear out of thin air. Boys internalize notions about male sexuality from a very young age. The center to these beliefs are the ideas that one, real men have lots of sex, and two, that women exist primarily for sexual purposes. Also, it assumes that men are only sexually attracted to women. Heteronormative much? It shouldn't be surprising that these messages come with misogynist undertones. We need to start examining how to break the cycle. But to do that, we need to first examine the messages themselves. Only by understanding the sexual culture that we're in can we work towards building healthier gender dynamics. There are four ways that the patriarchy, quite possibly, though, you teaches boys to feel sexually entitled to women and girls. Sorry about that. One, boys learn that male virginity is a burden. 
boys are pressured to lose their virginity as fast as possible, stigma increases likelihood that boys will view girls as objects rather than people because they're just a means to an end. While girls learn that losing their virginity is a life-altering decision for boys, it's all about bragging rights. Trust me. I watched an embarrassment amount of teen dramas as a kid, all of them featured a boy who was desperate to lose his virginity. His male friends would miss an opportunity to remind him of his sexless existence, teasing that he was a loser and even sometimes outright demand that he swipe his V-card in order to protect the social standing of their group. One line of dialogue from the Australian show stuck with me. A boy and a girl who are childhood friends make a pact, B-A-C-T, that if they don't lose their virginity, by the end of his school year, they will have sex with each other. While the boy is frantic about losing his virginity, the girl matter of fact, matter of factly points out that unlike him, her quote-unquote stock goes up the longer she keeps her virginity. I think that sums up our problematic relationship to virginity. Beyond the fact that it's an outdated, misogynistic concept, boys are ashamed almost as much for not having sex as girls are ashamed for having it. Boys have to prove their masculinity by having sex as early and as much as possible. Failure to do so will result in certain social death. This peer pressure can produce a potentially unhealthy environment for sexual exploration. Since boys only care about getting rid of their virginity instead of who they're having sex with and what the mutual quality of that sex is. On that note, pleasure is also an important part of sex. Boys and girls both learn that sex is over with one male orgasm. But that totally ignores foreplay, position, and duration. Girls are just supposed to grin and bear it, which rightfully doesn't sound appealing to many of us. How many jokes have been made about a teen boy ejaculating when he's barely inside a girl, causing her to grimace and declare the mood officially killed? That's not cool. Girls should enjoy their first time, too. Two, boys learn that sexually active women don't deserve their respect. I always wonder how all of these boys could run around getting ready for girls who are supposed to stay virgins forever. And I realize how the paradox could exist. Misogyny. It's no secret that there's a glaring double that there's a glaring sexual double standard between men and women. Men are studs and women are sluts. Men are praised for being promiscuous while women are shamed and policed. The woman is sexually active but supposedly indicates that she's up for anything. Once she does it with one person, everyone else should expect the same. Who cares about silly things like partners and boundaries? Following that train of logic and shamelessly pursuing their own sexual fulfillment, sluts are obligated to be sexually available for anyone else. Read any man who asks. If men are supposed to be the active players in sexual dynamics, a woman having sexual agency and carrying out her own desires is threatening because it takes male control over when and how often a woman has sex out of the equation. Men compensate for this by shaming women for sexual expression and trying to police their sexuality. They need to plant the need they need to plant the seed that promiscuous women are somehow immoral or dirty to give themselves power over female erotics. Also, I'm forever laughing at the myth that women who are horny are desperate for dick so they can get off. Hey guys, have you ever heard of a dildo or fingers? Needless to say, men who belittle women for having sex and yet turn to the same women they ridicule for gratification are hypocrites. Internalizing the idea that good girls don't have sex and by extension that girls who have sex are inferior only sets men up for good because women are held up to an impossible and unfair standard. Guys are supposed to want sex all the time, yet they're only supposed to want to be with women who never have sex. That's a terrible form of relationship because you have no idea whether or not they're sexually compatible. Having sex and having sex doesn't make a woman more or less wholesome. It's merely a difference in preferences. What's more important is how the communication about desires, which is never going to happen if men keep projecting their ridiculous sexual expectations onto women.
Three, boys learn that women open sex and that relationships with women are only used to find sexual opportunities. Men are generally fans of zones, auto zone and the end zone to name a few, but one zone instills great fear in the hearts of men, the friend zone. While some have, attempt, have attempted to, to universalize friend zone and claim that's something that everyone wants to avoid with their crush, we all know that it's primarily used in the context of women rejecting men. Men treat the friend zone as a death sentence with women as the cold, heartless, barbarous, and the worst punishment possible. All men seemingly need ninja-like skills to outmaneuver women's efforts to place them there. Apparently, the key is to withhold emotional support and stop doing boyfriend things, whatever those are, so you've had clear confirmation of romantic reciprocity. Because, you know, doing things like holding actual conversations or performing random acts of kindness are only reserved for women who put out. Anything less is a waste of your time and feelings. Your investment has to pay off. Except for one problem. Women aren't some sort of sexual stock share that you shore up with kindness as collateral. You can't expect us to magically jump your bone as soon as you spend X amount of time on us. Besides the fact that you shouldn't even want to force manipulate your partner into dating you. It sends the message that you only see a relationship with sex as the ultimate goal is worthwhile. Women are more than the romantic or sexual viability. Four, boys learn to view women as objects rather than people. Perhaps the most toxic side of sexual time is the callous demonization of women. Men get so fixated on the idea that men get so fixated on the idea that women exist for sex that they forget that we are three-dimensional people with distinct individuality that deserves to be respected. Instead of pursuing women for sexual gratification alone, men need to start pursuing women because they want to get to know them. Guys out there, try actually starting a real conversation with women beyond asking where her bra size is. Men also need to learn that they can have relationships with women outside of romance. Yes, it is possible for men and women to be friends. And a lot of guys talk to each other in the locker room about pussy. That's what, that's the word they use whenever they're in the locker room. That's how they start a conversation. I kid you not, I've been a teenager when I was in the locker room. Um, that was talked about. Um, I had a way of shutting down that type of conversation because the, women, the young ladies that talk about like a dog the way they would treat me would shame those guys. Um, it's kind of like being in a barbershop. Every time I was in a barbershop, you have guys talking about how someone's sex is trash or the woman's vagina was trash, but they wouldn't put it that way and said it profanely. Um, they would look at me and not be as, or at all, actually at all they wouldn't be super boastful when I was around because I had a spirit about myself that made them have to rethink and to change the discussion and to pause so I have that presence about me that makes toxic masculine dudes have to go I need to shut my shit down or I need to take my shit somewhere else because Tony, I fucking have. I can't just 
he used to wear a pussy without Antonio checking me on what context am I using the word in and why I'm using that word that way. Mm. The myth that male slash female friendship is always inherently romantic can be traced back to sexual entitlement. Guys can start breaking that down and get to know a woman for purposes other than getting into her pants. Boys can start learning that women are human beings first and foremost. Sexual entitlement isn't quote unquote boys being boys, it's learned behavior. Combating social media message early on not always allows boys to develop healthy relationships with women. It can give girls a greater sense of autonomy in their own sexual development. Let's make sure we teach boys the right lessons. To be honest, I don't want to read anymore. Not because I'm upset or thing. I'm just, frankly, I just want to talk from the heart. And so I need to do that more with my episodes. I, I think that I read more other people's thoughts. I don't share my thoughts enough. Like in my past episodes, I shared all of what I was truly thinking. But when I do episodes on top of my head, you get all my full thoughts. So here's how I'm going to start with how can men and women be objectified by each other? Well, I'll give an example. If you think that men have to be muscular or women have to be curvy and you look at each other like, yeah, you fit the societal standards of beauty. The problem is why is a gym or a supermodel the end all be all of being a quote unquote sex symbol? It could be uh profane comments on someone's genitalia uh someone's clothing someone's body someone's facial expressions so men and women are capable of objectifying each other it could be gestures it could be nonverbal touching it could be email email language it could be texting language it could be phone call language the things that they say that makes your skin crawl and if they buy into misandry based sexual stereotypes of men and if they buy into misogynistic misogynistic sexual stereotypes of women then that is a way of being objectified plus women can sexually harass men men sex harassed women too but both genders sexually harass each other both genders can actually make each other victims of intimate partner violence domestic violence it's very true because it's fear right so you can have women who and I've had this personal experience growing up As a five-year-old, I knew women that they had the mindset of, I'm going to get as much dick as I can. It wasn't just men who had the whole, I'm going to just run through as many bras as possible. I witnessed both growing up. I did. And I'm talking like this because I'm talking the context of what we're speaking about, not just putting profane words out there just do that I'm saying I'm talking about my upbringing 
I'm talking about the articles I've read that makes me think about these things. So I always put profane words, vulgar words, in the context of of empathy, of wholeness, of healing, of restoration, of oneness, of protectiveness, of upliftment. So that's why I'm saying what I'm saying. Um, so I knew women, I saw women and men touch each other. I saw many women catcall each other. I saw um, men and women give each other street harassment growing up. For example, I saw many women uh, make unwanted sexualized comments to each other. I saw many women make provocative gestures to each other. I saw many women uh, make persistent sexual advances to each other. I saw many women stalking each other. I saw many women doing decent exposures to each other. I saw men and women wolf whistling to each other. I saw men and women honking towards each other. I saw unwanted sexualized comments by men and women to each other. I saw touching by strangers because of men and women to each other. I saw all that stuff. I saw kissing, noises, stares, non-sexually explicit comments, flashing, grabbing, sexual and rape between men and women. I did growing up, absolutely. And um, so, yes, men and women can sexually sexify each other. And uh, this is also what I wanted to talk about that I saw between uh, men and women. This is something that just needs to be said. So growing up, when it comes to uh, men and women, please pay attention to what I'm telling you. When it came to men and women, I saw instrumentality, treating the person as a tool for another's purposes. When it comes to men and women, I saw denial of autonomy, treating the person as lacking autonomy and self-determination. Pause. So I saw I saw instrumentality, I saw denial of autonomy, I saw inertness, I saw fungibility, I saw viability, I saw ownership, I saw denial of subjectivity, I saw reduction of body, reduction to appearance and silencing between men and women doing these things to each other. Let me give you the definitions of those words from one to like 10. I saw men and women treating each other as a tool for another's purposes. I saw men and women treat each other as lacking autonomy and self-determination. So, uh, men and women treating each other as lacking in agency or activity. I saw men and women treating each other as interchangeable with quote unquote other parentheses objects. I saw men and women treat each other as lacking in boundary, integrity, and viable as something that's permissible to break up, smash, break into. I saw men and women treating each other so they could be owned, bought, or sold. I saw men and women treating each other as though there's no need for concern for their experiences or feelings. Um, I saw men and women treat each other as identified with their body body parts. Growing up, I saw 
men and women treat each other primarily in terms of how they look, how they appear. The census last saw men and women treat each other as if they're silent, lack of capacity to speak. So how do you compliment women? How do you compliment men? It's rather simple. First, get to know each other's boundaries. You can't effectively compliment without knowing boundaries. First, have a healthy, honest conversation. Don't share what's inappropriate, only share what's appropriate. But also watch how they talk to other people to understand how you can compliment. What are their pronouns? Um, do they like, what compliments do they like? Some people don't like compliments right away. Some people like to, well, you have to be really cool with me to say that you like this or don't like something, you know, it could be anything. But to really compliment, it's to compliment on personality attributes that are favorable. Um, compliment on clothing style that is showing how smooth and professional they are. So you can compliment more on the, on the inner beauty of the person. And then with the outer beauty, that takes time. Get to understand what you learn gradually and then work your way up slowly but surely. Um, like for me, I compliment women. But first, I say to myself, do they want to be confident? If not, then I don't. Um, but if they do, I only compliment their clothing in a friendly way. Not overly friendly, not under friendly, you know, healthy friendly. I'm not trying to have sex with you. I'm not trying to chase you. I'm not trying to date you. And I'm not saying that that person is unattractive. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is it depends on what I have with that person. Now, let's say if it is a sexual situation. I'm more intellectual with that. Meaning my honesty tends to be poetic. It's not all the way vulgar like a lot of guys. Mine is more, I stimulate your mind first. My honesty, my articulation, and my being slow to speak, my being quick to listen, and my taking my time and tasting my words before I utter them and me just speaking from the heart of a gentle soul. That's what works for me and them. Now, I'm intellectual, honest, poetic, and gentle soul speak from the heart, even without a sexual interaction. So 
So there's ways you can compliment. Focus on, like, compliment the person's, like, dreams, like, type of dreams, meaning what they want to do with their life, and compliment their goals, their missions, and their life purposes, stuff like that. Compliment their hobbies. So I'm learning to rely on my mind more and the articles less. I still do the articles, but I'm going to speak more from my heart. You can hear more of my thoughts and less of the thoughts of others. I'm going to agree with myself more and agree with others less. It's part of me healing. Of, I'm, I'm much wiser than I think I am, and I need to own that. Um, as for the small penis thing, let's in the, you know, the, um, making fun of exercise is really simple. Size doesn't dictate the whole you can't be a good lover thing because it's not about the size. Even though people have size purposes, again, it's not about the size. It's about what you do with what you have. If you're a good lover, meaning you're a sensitive lover, hospitable lover, then your size really doesn't matter because you work it right. So when people talk about how you're less of a man or you're not a stud if you're small, to me, you're less than a man, not insulting women. I'm talking strictly to men here. You're not a man if you base your manhood outside of your body, for example. You're not a man if you just think about, oh, I got to dip down a woman. That's not manhood. If you're using manhood, what's the better way to put it? If you're using manhood to be all about the external and there is no eternal, that's not a man. A man is considerate, just like women. A man is thoughtful, just like women. A man uses humane speech just like women. A man has social etiquette and politeness just like women. So manhood is about inner beauty in a male body. That's the perfect definition of man. Inner beauty that just happens to reside in a male body. In inner beauty, you should be protective of your brothers as well as your sisters. I'm not saying never hold each other accountable. What I'm saying is, is that don't protect in bad ways now. They're clearly perverted and sickos. They're not worth protecting. But You have to be more than just a gentleman to women, which is very much a required standard. But you also have to apply 
gentleness to men too. Women shouldn't be the only ones. Because men need gentleness too. That's how you combat misogyny and misandry. Because you have women who, because they've been hurt by men, they are misandric, you know, contempt, contempting, contempt and prejudice towards men. So, I also had to learn in that world that uh, men and women have the human rights to personal autonomy, self ownership, and self determination. Men and women should honor each other's bodily integrity. So, not every woman wants a, a long penis. And uh, it's really uh, disheartening that you hear things where. Um, they'll just it's just foolishness to make something all about how big or small what should be about what type of heart do you have That some pieces be too big. Mm. So I just wanted to do this sex episode where I talk more from my soul. Notice it was all loving and peaceful. Sex episodes are never meant to um, are never meant to dishonor anyone's sex positive. If anything, it's very much of a compliment. Um, I want to talk about something that I have not shared. I don't think I've shared this with anyone, but. Um, I've had to um, really um, let go of this insecurity that I've been having my whole life. Uh, growing up, I remember feeling insecure about whether my grandma would um, what would she say about my autism because she never knew 
I think what she would say to me is she would probably she would definitely say baby you're educating me on autism and she says I like what I'm learning about your autism and um she would probably want to call it something different. She'll probably say, baby, that's your extraordinaire care. That's your extraordinaire at care. Meaning that's my above average at work. You know, she says the extraordinaire is the care and the care is extraordinaire. She'll probably say something like that knowing her. That's definitely something my grandma would say. Now I feel so much better about sharing that. And, uh, I have one more porn category to share with you. Um, I also want to do porn movies for women. I want to do uh, women's pleasure porn performing. Uh, directing and pornographer uh, role that I want to play. I want to. I want to be a part of the collection of movies focused on female pleasure. In order for me to celebrate, you know, women's power at its best, I want to do that. That's a new category. That's why I'm bringing up porn. The only reason. One X confession, so go figure. Um, basically, I also I want to emphasize this more. I want to do heterosexual uh, porn movies for women. Basically, I want to do heterosexual erotica and heterosexual scenes. But from the standpoint of the female gaze, J.C.E., where fem female pleasure matters and taking women's pleasure into account. So those are the new ones. This is, I want to do a good high quality heterosexual erotica. I, 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 I'm saying that, okay? Those are the new ones, so don't think, oh, you're just repeating to No, no. It's new. Now a new one. I want to do Sunday Fun Day porn movies for women. Uh, I know this Sunday is the best part of the weekend to enjoy alone or in good company. I want to be a pornographer, director, porn performer come Sunday Fun Day. Uh, oh, uh, for the heterosexual porn category, I want to do. Going to be a pornographer, performer, and uh, director of comes to that. Okay. Okay. Make sure is there any new ones that I have not. Oh, one more. Okay. I want to do female friendly HD porn when it comes to pornographer, director, and porn performer. Okay. So. That's my last porn talk for about a month. That means April 8th, and they talk about porn again. Okay, now let me talk about sex. And after that, 
I'm gonna be out. So, basically, what can I say about sex? I say about sex. Well, this is what I will say. So please, please hear me. I'm gonna go off the top of my head with this. Closing my eyes. This one is really heavy. When it comes to sex, my goal is to engage in healthy body worship. What does that mean? I mentioned it before, but let me give you something to It means that the, the way I look at you, the way I feel you, the way I grab you, the way I penetrate you, the way we engage in our penetrative sex, the, the, you know, the way I place you in positions, the way where we place each other in acts, um, the way we smell each other and taste each other when we sense each other, the way we hear each other the way we um, are in each other's presence, the aura we give out, um, the way we experience each other. Here is what you're going to feel. You are going to feel safe. You're going to feel defended. You're going to feel alright. You're going to feel out of harm's way. You're gonna feel shielded, you're gonna feel guarded, you're gonna feel sheltered, you're gonna feel um, sound of mind. You're gonna feel sound mind, you're gonna feel um, the absence of danger, you're gonna feel harm of being missing. Um, You're definitely going to feel preserved. You're going to feel taken care of. You're going to feel looked after. You're going to feel cared for. You're going to feel cared about. You're going to feel tended. You're going to feel cushioned. You're going to feel the provision of support and safety against any kind of negative impact. I will never negative I will never give any negative impact to my partner. You're going to feel saved in a sense where 
safe in this case means you're going to feel that I'm heroic to you. You're going to feel my heroism to you. H-E-R-O-I-S-M. You're going to feel fortified. You're going to feel beautifully harbored. You're going to feel wonderfully housed. You're going to feel um, a sense of spirit of, you're going to feel a sense of inner inoculation. You're going to feel a sense of a healthy in, you're going to feel health, healthily insulated. Um, you're going to feel appropriately watched over. You're going to feel stability of the mind. You're going to feel um, humanely kept. Um, you're going to feel uh, um, correctly screened, meaning providing necessary concealment and necessary um, uh, hovering um, over you. Um, you're going to feel like housed and I feel that neglect never happens between us which is true you're never going to feel attacked you're never going to feel inappropriately exposed uh, you're going to feel bodyguarded you're going to feel like the secret service has got you and uh, you're going to feel afforded protection to in terms of mount slash stand guard on um, you're going to feel free of injury you're going to feel that Damage, destruction, invasion, loss, annoyance, insults are never going to be anywhere found between myself and them. You're not going to feel thievery nor being stolen is going to happen. So that's what it means for me to be a hospitable, sensitive lover. That's how I make my partners feel. And my partners may feel the same ways too. With that being said, we'll pick back up on these topics, religion and sex, April 7th, 2022. My soul and my body, both 100% are at rest and stay at rest, most of all, most important to me.